invite the congregation to stand and to face the procession. We gather in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God of all mercy and consolation, come to the help of your people, turning us from our sin to live for you alone. Give us the power of your Holy Spirit that we may confess our sin, receive your forgiveness, and grow into the fullness of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Let us confess our sin in the presence of God and of one another. Most merciful God, we confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. In the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for us. And for his sake, God forgives us all our sins. As a called and ordained minister of the Church of Christ and by his authority, I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us pray. Holy God, you confound the world's wisdom in giving your kingdom to the lowly and the pure in heart. Give us such a hunger and thirst for justice and a perseverance in striving for peace that in our words and deeds, the world may see the life of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. I invite you to be seated for the lessons. A reading from the sixth chapter of Micah. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the controversy of the Lord and your endearing foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a controversy with his people, and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? In what have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember now what King Balak of Boab devised, what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. 
the word of the Lord. The reading is from the first Corinthians, the first chapter. The message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and a foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world 
to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that, as it is written, that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord, the word of the Lord. Gospel according to Matthew. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Grace and mercy and peace be yours through Jesus the Christ. Amen. Paul wrote, the message about the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. When this sermon is over, when we finish dining at the table of grace, when we get sent one more time out into the world to be Jesus this week in the world, my hope is that when you leave here, your mind is just spinning. At the very least, I hope you'll remember that you've got a mind and that God gave you that mind, and that God expects you to use that mind all the time. I rarely talk about this, but in the first three years out of seminary, I, I almost hung it up as a parish pastor. Some of it was just small town social that I wasn't used to. Some of it was maturity on my part. I promised the bishop that I would stay in that parish for three years, and I stayed two years, 362 days. 
My out was to say I wanted to go to graduate school, doctoral work. In order to do that, I took a call in a very small congregation that was supposed to be just a maintenance kind of thing, but thanks be to God, it wasn't. But the real point was I just really wanted to get out and I wanted to go to graduate school. And at the heart of that very challenging time in my life was a growing awareness that most people in the church don't want to think. Believe it or not, that's a nice way of saying it. (laughs) It seemed to me then, in some ways still today, that when it comes to religion, when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to faith, when it comes to God, we largely all would rather just have good old time religion that what I always thought was true will always be true and don't confuse me with thinking about it. A whole lot of people come to church or log in online, but the expectation is that when you come here, you can check your brain at the door. God creates human beings with the ability to think. It's part of what separates us from the rest of creation. It is a big part of what Genesis meant, that we are created in the image of God. 30 plus years ago, one of the great memories of my life, Gatlinburg, Tennessee, I still have like Polaroid picture of me, two little sons, both wearing their cute little plaid pants. And I saw this chicken that had been trained to shoot hoops. <laughs> Fabulous. You, you, you put a quarter in this slot and a chicken would wake up and he'd start bouncing this ping pong ball through these plastic defenders and then try to pop it into a little hoop. It would take two or three times. And when the ping pong ball went into the hoop, a little pellet would come back out. He'd take the pellet and go back and sit down. I probably spent like five bucks doing that. (laughs) Now I share with you that really interesting story because you can teach a chicken to shoot a hoop, but you cannot teach a chicken to write an editorial about shooting hoops. Doesn't work that way, only human beings. When I got to graduate school, one of the most frightening things that I heard there on the first day was that in this place there is no such thing as a bad idea. I still wonder if they understood the irony of that because that clearly was a bad idea. (laughs) Some ideas work, some ideas don't. I mean, that's kind of the point of academia and science. You test out ideas, see if they work, try tests, scrutinize. Some ideas, however, are just bad. Friday was the International Day of Remembrance for the Holocaust. Anybody here think that Auschwitz was not a bad idea? And there are just a lot of bad ideas out there in the world. And that includes forever and ever bad ideas about Jesus. Always have been, always will be. Let me give you this example. I don't make this stuff up. I I read this article in the the Columbus Dispatch. Uh, It was the the headline that caught my my attention. It said, Jesus is bulking up. Like, what? What? I wish I was making it up. Jesus is bulking up. And the gist of the article was that uh, the image of Christ for most people in the church is 
like uh, Warner Solomon's The Head of Christ, with, you know, with blonde hair and a very effeminate face. And that now, um, by pushing aside that, that kind of image and adding a more muscular Jesus, um, I think maybe the Passion of Christ, Mel Gibson, or something like that, that that's going to change how the church functions in the world. The writer's logical point was that as Jesus takes on a new bulked-up image, well, maybe the church will become more robust as well. And, you know, I thought that's an interesting hypothesis in some ways. And, and just as I was beginning to spin around in my head a little bit about that and reminding myself that, yeah, I probably have one dominant image of what Jesus looks like, but there's thousands of images, and they probably don't match mine. Lots of good images of Jesus. As I'm just trying to get into that thought, I get to the bottom of the editorial. After painting this picture of a more powerful, bulked-up Jesus, the writer offers, and I want to quote this because it's heresy, such imagery speaks to a muscular evangelism that is tired of turning the other cheek and is ready to do it a new way. Ooh. Ooh. So let me get it straight. Well, if I concoct and worship a stronger, bigger, bolder, more powerful Jesus, then I'm not going to have to love kindness and walk humbly, as the prophet Micah said in our first reading. I won't have to take up my cross and suffer for anyone. I won't have to turn the other cheek. Now that is a bad idea. But you have to use your head to discern that. You have to test it. And I am aware that I, myself, am continually trying to do exactly that. I'm trying to rework the identity of God, rework the message of Jesus to fit more comfortably into what I really want. When I first uh, became a pastor, my, my uh, oldest sister, who at that point was uh, living in a teepee and had pretty much said, I, I'm not having anything to do with any kind of monetary things, the first year she got the annual report from the congregation I served, she sent me a lengthy letter and said, how as a man of God can you accept money for doing the crap that you do? <laughs> wow. So, knowing that we can rework God into our image, let me tell you it's a bad idea. So here's an intellectual faith principle to take away today. Anything that draws us away from the historical Jesus of Scripture is a bad idea. Those red-letter Bibles, they were on to something. And here's where your heads ought to really spin today. It's in that second reading. Mary Lou, you did a great job with that lesson. Thank you. Paul writes to our sisters and brothers in Corinth, hasn't God already made foolish the wisdom of this whole world? My preacher ears perked up. We preach Christ crucified, says Paul. We preach a stumbling block to Jews. We preach foolishness to Gentiles. Let me say that through my bruised ego. I preach utter foolishness to Gentiles. One of the dangers of being in the church as often as I have been that it just starts to make sense. It's like church speak sometimes. 
we say things that we just expect that everybody knows what that means and they probably have a different view of it to begin with. And in, unless I'm intellectually sharp, I guess, before I know it, in church I'm believing all kinds of things here that I would not out there. So here's another intellectual principle to help. When you, when you start to gloss over things that are really kind of absurd, really kind of foolish, when some of this crucified Christ as Lord of all starts to sound, yeah, kind of reasonable or maybe discardable, I can pick and choose which parts I like the most, that should make you worry that you're in bad idea territory. Just listen to Jesus. Blessed are the meek. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbors as yourself. Whoa. I just want to say they don't teach that at Kelly School of Business where I went. Be honest about this. Blessed are the meek. Try being meek tomorrow and see how far that gets you. Meekness works in church, unless it's covering up things, but meekness works here. In the real world, it probably gets you sent home with a pink slip. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall get done to them what they are loath to do to others. Blessed are the merciful. They get it done to them twice. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. They shall be called fanatics or activists or worse. So knowing that I had this temptation to hear everything through church ears and church brain, and knowing that I was going to be preaching in a few weeks on this, I started to say, well, where did I first hear the Beatitudes? Where did I get this idea that this is all just such a comforting idea? And I, I think I want to blame it on Vacation Bible School. <laughs> I love Vacation Bible School, and I'm trying to say that. My teacher, Miriam Sher, she was a saint. Back in that day, we didn't have a thousand posters and beautiful color books, you know. Uh, and she had a poster, and it had a picture of a bumblebee smiling, bee, and then over here, attitudes. The bee attitudes, or as an adult, I now say the honey-dripped version of Jesus' teaching. If I sit with these bee attitudes for very long with my Monday brain, I mean, they sound kind of foolish. Comically so, maybe tragically so. In that second reading, Paul is writing <clears throat> a letter to a specific community, a specific congregation, the church in Corinth. We've been reading from that letter since the baptism of Jesus, and we're going to read from it each week in worship until we, we get to Lent. And um, this church has got some issues. They've got some conflicts going on, and it's not pretty. Paul's their former pastor, and he's just decided to write them a letter and get this straightened out a little bit. And what's going on is that people are throwing opinions at each other right and left and just assuming they are the gospel truth because they like them and they believe them. And Paul refuses to let them just check their brains at the door. 
You are going to deal with the issues, he said, and you're going to deal with them, brace yourself, in the shining bright light of a crucified Jesus. He gives them two reminders. The first we've covered. It's a meta reminder that you have to use your head and your heart. There are bad ideas, even bad ideas about God, and trying to make God in your image the way you want God to be is just a bad idea. Second reminder, even more powerful, what seems wise to us can be stupidity to God. And thankfully, what seems like utter foolish to us might well be the graceful wisdom of God and our own salvation. Paul reminds the church that you need to start getting more allied with what the world thinks is foolish. And he goes right to the heart of the matter. He insists that we remember what actually happened to Jesus, what Jesus actually said and did, and the fact that he was crucified for saying and doing it, and then and only then rose victorious from the dead. And Paul's laying that out for them, but he's doing it in a very intellectual, written kind of way. He's playing the devil's advocate with everyone, all sides in the congregation. And he boils it down to a couple of simple arguments. He says, how in the world can we in the church proclaim as savior of the whole world that someone was spitting on and beaten up by Rome? How can we say that Jesus is Lord when religious people, as we're learning too often week after week in the story, they just want to sign and be told that everything's fine? What we have, says Paul, we have his ugly crucifixion. We have Christ crucified and victorious over the grave. And that makes our message that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one who's going to usher in a whole new reign of God seem utterly foolish to a whole lot of people. Yes, Paul says, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. But that is not a call for any of you in this church in Corinth to turn off your brains. Paul expects you to test it, to hold it up to the cross, crucified. Paul expects the church to know the difference in the images of Jesus. So here's what it it means for me right now at this stage in my life. Uh, It means that I can't airbrush Jesus. (laughs) And I do that too often. We can try to bulk him up. We can make his morals match our own morals. We can pick and choose Bible verses that agree with us. We can do all of those things, but it's just a bad idea. And this is a little dangerous for a church that loves and welcomes people all the time. If you're looking for a church, if you're looking for a theological framework that is simply going to bless or agree with common sense and logical assumptions that are widely held by your circle and your political party and your religious beliefs, you have come or you've scrolled into the wrong worship. Here in this place, we're into the foolishness of God. That's what we're into. And we treasure that foolishness at all costs because we know that it's the saving power of God for us. 
I can only imagine when Jesus first dropped this stuff on his disciples. Like, try to get a little picture of how this is going. They've, they've left their families, their businesses, their industries. They think he is the next Messiah. He's going to put everything back in the right place. It's going to be nothing but, but uh, uh, good times after this. And he finally gets up to the mountain. He sits down, and they are so excited just to hang out with him because it's just fabulous that somebody as nice as Jesus who heals people and feeds people, that he's our Lord. And, and they sit down next to him, and he basically says, well, now let's go just a little deeper. Here's what you are called to do. You're called to eat with tax collectors. You're called to forgive your sister, the hooker. Live with childlike simplicity and trust in God. Honor the least person that you meet and encounter anywhere in this world as if it were God. Share generously. In fact, just give it all away. Turn the other cheek. Love your neighbors. Live in peace. I mean, even in church, when you hear it, blessed are they who get crucified. Be careful what you do with that. Forgiving our enemies, caring for the poor, welcoming the stranger, walking miles in somebody else's shoes, sharing your coat. There are a whole bunch of people in this world who are going to tell you that's utter foolish. And in one sense it is. It just is. It's the holy foolishness of God that we preach. And we pray together that one day that holy foolishness will be enough to make this whole world's head spin so that we can live in peace again. Amen.
Let us confess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Called together to follow Jesus, we pray for the church, the world, and all in need. Cultivate humility in your church. Shape us to be people of kindness, generosity, and justice. Merciful God, the earth bears witness to your faithfulness. The mountains and hills echo with your holiness. Inspire us to honor all you have made. Merciful God, our hearts are broken at the deaths caused by violence. Touch our hearts with your love and heal our brokenness. Let our hands reach out and connect with those who feel alone, those who live in fear, and those who are suffering. Merciful God, raise up leaders who seek justice, love, and mercy. Merciful God, give your life, strength, and wisdom to all in need, especially those whom we name now silently or aloud. Merciful God, as with your people Israel, Remind us how your faithfulness brought us through difficulties and sustained us despite our weaknesses. Establish the cross as the center of our life together. Merciful God, praise to you for your blessed saints in every time and place. Merciful God, we bring to you our needs and hopes, O God, trusting your wisdom and power revealed in Christ crucified. The peace of Christ be with you always. And also with you. Might you share that peace with those who are around you. God's peace, God's peace choir, God's peace, God's peace, God's peace, God's peace, God's peace, God's peace. Well, we have a few announcements to share. As usual, this church is hopping with activity. There's a lot going on. We hope that you can be part of as much as you can. Thanks for joining us in worship and to those who are online today. Today, after this worship service, there is a, a brief meeting with, for lack of better words, a finance review. It's kind of a prep for next week's annual meeting of the congregation. So if, you, if numbers are your thing and you want to look through some of the numbers, there's be somebody to kind of walk you through that. Frankly, there's a lot of good news in those numbers, a lot of generosity, but that's after worship today. And then next week after this worship, 1030 worship, the annual meeting of the congregation. There's an event here at 4 o'clock uh, today called Sanctuary Shenanigans. If ever there was a clue that Pastor John was gone for a whole week, that title, <laughs> that title is definitely it. 
Not to mention a peace sign article that said, the choir's going robeless. <laughs> That's making me really nervous. I just want to just really. Uh, here's what the idea is. Our choir performs at such a high level liturgically in the life of worship, but they all have such musical skills that on this one concert in the concert series, they're just going to let it loose, sing some fun songs that they want to present. It just should be an enjoyable day of uplifting music, and hope you can come back at 4 o'clock to enjoy that. I want to shout out to Kate Hoyt today and our Blood Drive organizers. A week ago, uh, our Blood Drive set an all-time Prince of Peace record of 47 units of blood in one afternoon. Now, that's really, yeah, somebody ought to clap for that. The next drive is already scheduled for March 24th from 9 to 3. And I just want to say, as somebody who's donated blood for years and now for a number of years can't because of the medication, and as somebody who has been blessed with the blood of other people, thank you for doing that ministry. It's really important. Keep reading peace signs. There's a lecture series coming up in a few weeks about hunger. There'll be someone here from Dublin talking about hunger in Dublin, and then someone from our Senate staff talking about hunger in our Senate in Metro Columbus. And an event that looks really intriguing to me, but I don't think I'm invited to it. Uh, there's a wine and small plate Valentine's Parents' Night out. I can't convince my 40-year-old sons to come and be put into childcare that night. Um, <laughs> But it looks like a really primo event. Uh, high school youth with Sue Miller from our daycare helping. So there's activities for the kids in one part of our building. And then some fabulous wines and pairings with it as kind of a Valentine's thing. So we hope that brings something for you. And it's on a Saturday night. So throw in worship at 530 and then wine and pairings. That's a pretty nice night. Uh, we hope that you'll join us. As always, we want you to know that you are welcomed at the table of the Lord.
Amen. Blessed are you, O holy God. You are the life and light of all. By your powerful word, you created all things. Through the prophets, you called your people to be a light to the nations. Blessed are you for Jesus, your Son. He is your light, shining in our darkness and revealing to us your mercy and might. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me.
And again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, given and shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. Remembering, therefore, his preaching and healing, his dying and rising, and his promise to come again, we await that day when all the universe will rejoice in your holy and life-giving light. By your Spirit, bless us and this meal, that refreshed with the heavenly food, we may be light for the world, revealing the brilliance of your Son. Through him all glory and honor is yours, Almighty Father, for the Holy Spirit and your Holy Church, both now and forever. Amen. Gathered as one by the Holy Spirit, let us join in praying the prayer our Lord first taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial, and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.
Holy One, we thank you for the healing that springs forth abundantly from this table. Renew our strength to do justice, love kindness, and journey humbly with you. Amen. Follow the way of Jesus.